Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. You don't live in Cleveland. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast that is still here and hoping that you are all safe and well and wearing masks and being good boys and girls out there. Uh, With me to discuss the week's comings and goings is uh, my usual partner in crime, Nathan Palmer, who's on the end of another line. I'm not quite sure where he is. Nathan, are you there? I am there indeed, my son. How you been? Where is there, though? You might be there, but where are? Where is there? I'm walking through Camden at the moment with a lot of weird and wonderful people, just trying not to get hit by a car. So, um, right, yeah, not not doing too bad. So you're not you're not in your usual kind of uh, setup. You're actually walking and on the move. That's right, yeah. It's, it's Cincinnati on the go, episode 89, you know, <laughs> add a bit of flavour to it. A little bit of flavour. Well, there we go. Um, the last time we did this, you were in, were in Los Angeles walking around, and I did challenge you to go up to someone uh, to say hello and say hello to us. But knowing Camden like I do, I don't think I will challenge you to do that. <laughs> especially, yeah, especially during the pandemic, son. It might, we might raise a few eyebrows. Exactly right. Yeah, you got to keep your uh, your distance and uh, socially distancing. Um, we, I'd like to say we have another packed show for you, but I'm not quite sure how packed it's going to be. We do have another show for you. Uh, we are soldiering on during the summer months. Um, we're still keeping our watch parties going, so do get involved in them every Sunday night. We've only got a couple of weeks to go with those. Uh, we do have a special guest this week. It is the renowned and much admired and respected NFL analyst, uh, Andy Benoit. He'll be coming up later, and you'll uh, want to listen to him because he doesn't pull any punches when it comes to the Bengals and their performance last year and their strengths and weaknesses and all that kind of stuff uh, but um, as is tradition um, I tell you what Nathan I'm I'm quite flatulent today I don't mind saying I don't mind telling listeners wow I know flatulent flatulent full of gas and wind which uh, most people would say I am anyway but um I am in the truth. I'm on You're a new... just making your own jokes here, son. You just come in, you come in with all the one-liners ready for this, don't you? I'm basically on a new diet, and because uh, I put on an absolute shed load of pounds during the uh, the lockdown, I've basically been eating chocolate and crisps and drinking beer, and I think it's now time to sort myself out. So I'm on a, a fairly drastic diet, and uh, that's going to go on for eight weeks. And I had to eat loads of chickpeas today. And chickpeas to me are the devil's food, basically. Uh, and now me and those who live with me are paying the price, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be leaving. I'll be leaving. Come around for the podcast for another eight weeks. Then I'll tell you that. I know. Yeah, leave leave that out for. I'd I'd, I'd maybe leave that for a a non chickpea day of the diet. I would say. So what what you reckon you're going to stick with this eight week diet then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm serious about it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, well, we'll see how you get on. Each week, we want to check in. It'd be like a little segment of the show, oh, like Lord. documenting your weight loss. And at the end, we want to see a before and after. Well, the after, <laughs> you have, like, oil all over you, you know what I mean? Like, some really nice camera angles. We'll do a bit of Photoshop on it, get you a pair of Ray-Ban glasses. You know, you look the absolute part. Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be employing the filters, shall we say, uh, to those <laughs> we'll have a few filters on it. We'll get you some nice, tight Calvin Klein briefs. Oh, Lord. I don't think like, listeners you know. want to see that. I've even bought myself a smartwatch. Oh, um, look at you, son. Uh, money's a bit tight at the moment, as you can imagine, with various things going on or not going on at the moment. Work's kind of dried up because I'm freelance. But, however, I did splash out on a... Uh, it's not a Fitbit, but it's like a Fitbit, so it's much, much cheaper. And, a shit beer. Well, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but it's mad. I've been wearing that. I've been seeing how many hours of deep sleep that I've been sleeping, and I've been hitting 10,000 steps a day, and it's all it's all happening this, this end, I tell you. 
you're basically making a run for training camp, son, aren't you? You're just like prepping for training camp at this point, like just seeing if you can get on the 53. I'm coming up on the outside lane. I can see my chance and I'm going to nip in there. Um, Drew Sample, watch out, my son. You, you're on notice. Drew Sample? I, I think Drew's safe in the tight end position, really. I would say, um, I reckon Gio Bernard. Gio Bernard. Well, watch, out, watch out, Bobby Hart, eh? Yeah, that, we get on to that. <laughs> do we have to talk about Bobby Hart in this podcast? I think we do. All I right. think we do. Well, he caused uproar, didn't it? I mean, OK, let's get to it. He caused a bit of uproar last week, um... He put on some... Well, he's not been having a great summer, has Bobby, let's put it that way, with various conspiratorial tweets and uh, stuff about the coronavirus and this time about homosexuality. Um, now, we have uh, LGBTQ followers and friends as part of the Bengals UK group, so we, we did take exception to that. Bobby's not played a blinder there, and... Um, I think he's deleted the inst- the offending Instagram post, but uh, it, I mean, he's not making you love him. He's not making you root for him. Put it that way. No, I just just I just think with stuff like that, I, there's two sides to it, really. I guess because you know, with any sport, you're never going to have the same politics or beliefs as 53 men on an NFL roster. I think we can all expect that, but. With such backdated old school views like that, just airing them out on social media, I just you just think as athletes, even if that's what you believe, just keep it to yourself. Do you know what I mean? To go around as someone who you know, a lot of kids look up to you. You know, maybe there might be too many like young Bengals fans. I hope they're looking up to Bobby Hart, but mm. you know, it's not the sort of stuff you want to see being put out in this day and age. You know what I mean? It's it really actually quite quite annoyed me to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know, I was. Maybe being slightly diplomatic there, but uh, no, it wasn't great at all. And uh, I think there's still obviously a lot of education that needs to happen with 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 a lot of. Uh... It's just not a guy you want in the locker room, is it? Really? I mean, you got a guy like Joe Burrows come in, and by all accounts so far, has just asserted himself really well. He's on, you know, been really like sort of vocal with some of the issues that are going on at the moment, and sort of leading by example on them. Hey, you just look at Bobby. I remember when we were we were at the training. I knew you were going to bring um, this up. Yeah, he just I always remember looking over and I said to you, son, I was like, who's that number 68, is it? I, he just looks like he's a bit disinterested. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Bobby Hart. And I was like, meh, great. And I just, <laughs> I don't know, there's a few things body language-wise from him that I've seen during the season and stuff, like when Dalton's gone to the ground and he's not always been the first one to pick him up and... and he was having a pop at a few players on some plays, being out of position and stuff. And I did. I've just never been a big fan, to be completely honest. And to not be, you know, I don't want to sit here and have a, a big rant about it. But I just think that was the cherry on the cake, really. You know what I mean? Well, I think you're going to have to join the queue with Bobby. Uh, he's not. He's <laughs> he's the one that people love to hate on our team, isn't he? And uh, we'll see what happens with him. Um, now, five Bengals have made ESPN's team of the decade. Can you guess who they are, Nathan? AJ Green. Yes. Gino Atkins. Yes. Carlos Dunlap. Yes. Andrew Whitworth. Oh, yeah. Are we counting him as being like an ex-Bengal, obviously? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there is another ex-Bengal. There's another ex-Bengal. He's a pro bowler. He's a nutcase. Uh, Surely not Vontez Berthi. No, not... not, not, uh, not as nutcasey as perfect, but not not far behind. I have to say, surely not Adam Jones. It is Adam Jones, the Packer man. Oh, as a returner, hey, as a returner on the all the all decade um, team. I don't know. Actually, let me just see. Doesn't, That's fair. Really I'm say. quite surprised by that. Yeah, it has to. I mean, he's a good player as cornerback, but yeah, it has to be a returner. I think. Yeah. Has to be. He was an incredible returner. Like, he was, I always remember yeah. when he got the ball in his hands. He's so, so slippery <laughs> and just, you know, had incredible, like, movement. And I, I every time he got the ball in his hands, honestly, I'm not even exaggerating, I was out of my seat. I was like, he could take it all the way here. Yeah. It's just, I think teams knew that and they tried to sort of, you know, punt the ball to the sidelines and really sort of keep him out of range. But I think back in the day when the kick returners, you know, they, they, they weren't kicking it from so far and there wasn't as many touchbacks. You know, it's just an out-and-out kick returner. If he was fielding every single return in the game, yeah, I think he could have been one of the best that the NFL's ever seen. Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw him in action in our latest watch party in the 2013 game against Detroit, which is an absolute cracker. 
But I forgot, he did this move, and I love that move, where he just sort of stopped, dragged his leg, and changed direction, like, really, really quickly. Um, like you say, he was amazing, and he had a real X factor when uh, when he had the ball in his hands, especially, uh, as I say, um, about to return a kick. He was fantastic. Um, right, now then, let's get to the news of the day, which sort of... Indirect. Let's get to the indirectly uh, impacts uh, the Bengals. Um, the Patriots uh, signed Cam Newton today. Uh, obviously, it's a slow news day, so this isn't Bengals. As I say, not directly Bengals news, but I think it, you know it's an interesting news story. And once again, the Patriots have waited. I honestly thought they were going to pick up Dalton, but they've gone with Cam Newton, which is an interesting fit really i e <laughs> e yeah um i i think they've gone risk haven't they really i mean they've got him on a really cheap deal so i think really for them there's not much that can go wrong with it and i think there's a really high upside there i mean you all know what cam newton can do and the sort of specimen that he is and the huge arm that he's got and i've they can get sort of any the form that you know the Panthers got out of him a few seasons ago. Then it'd be one of the deals of the century. And I guess for them, if it goes wrong, it's a cheap experiment. And you know, if anyone's going to get the best out of a player, it's Bill Belichick. Um, you know, so exciting move. I think like you, I'm surprised they didn't go Dalton because you just felt like Dalton was a really safe pair of hands. He's a hard worker. Yeah, and he, and he would, and he would, um, you know, he would, he would be better in terms of scheme fit as well. I think. Yeah, and he's Don't also you? he's also Dalton's not got yeah absolutely, and he's not got the injury history as well, Dalton, as of recently. I mean, I know he's missed a few games here and there, and he's you know not immune to it, but he's perhaps got like less wear on him. I mean, Cam Newton three or four years ago, I just used to love watching him play because I just thought he was just such a bulldozer, and you just don't see quarterbacks putting themselves on the line like that. I mean, he was just he was like a running back playing quarterback, like and taking shots, and jumping over the line, and. Just frankly, just taking on mm. linebackers, cornerbacks, you know, some even defensive linemen. So, I mean, obviously, he's getting, you know, treading the tyre now. He's sort of into his 30s, but it's going to be intriguing, that's for sure. Ex league MVP in 2015. So, yeah. you know, Not we've seen him against ago. the Bengals where he's carried that Panthers team. Yeah, absolutely. On his back, really. Um, so an interesting signing, um, more Patriots-Bengals news, uh, more directly this time. Uh, well, the, the Patriots decided to release the Cam Newton news on the day that the NFL basically kicked them in the arse for the, uh, the, uh, the I don't know what you call it, the film gate or whatever gate that's going on. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the inflate gate, is it? It's something different. Basically, they were fined $1.1 million, $1 million. Um, they were also uh, fined a third-round pick in next year's draft. Uh, the Patriots television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season. Senior club officials will have required training on league operational, uh, operation and game policies. And in addition, what punishment right there? Oh yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, in addition, David Mondio, who was suspended by the team at the time of the NFL investigation, is banned from NFL facilities until further notice. Prior to the league's discipline, Mondio was terminated. I don't know what I'm saying in that voice. Mondio was uh, <laughs> terminated by the Patriots, which seems like a bit harsh. Fired and let go, but terminated—that's uh, quite. Severe. <laughs> it sounds quite severe, doesn't it? Well, the thing is, is if that if if that geezer was running a one man operation, like are you telling me that he wasn't in t like told by his boss or someone within the organisation, this is what we're up to here. Like, it just seems like he's become like a horrendous scapegoat for it. I'm sure he'll get a handsome settlement from the Patriots for not, you know, speaking out on that. But he's the Lee Harvey Oswald of uh, the. <laughs> no, that's that's wrong. Um, well, there we go. Um, well, you know, that's uh, almost, it's, almost it's sort of sneaked. Sne it is masterful. Mas Manipulation of the rules, isn't it, really? But but it's also like masterful PR. 
I mean, you go and sign Cam Newton, who's a big name, you know, like you said, ex-NFL MVP. And obviously everyone's talking about that and not the punishment. But, yeah, in reality, like the Patriots, like, you know, it's been despicable, really, isn't it? I mean, from Deflategate to this, to Spygate, you know, to... I think there was something else that they did in there at some point. You just think it's, it's pretty shocking, isn't it? I mean, a third-round pick's a decent punishment, but... It's the repeat offences. Like, they've found them categorically guilty of this. So, you know, guilty enough that they're going to go and say, look, we're taking your third-round pick. They took first-round pick away in the past, the deflate gate, and first-round pick before. It's like, at what point did you just say, you know what, guys? Like, You're going to be banned gonna... for one season. Belichick, well, you're you, going to be fine. Like, like, you know, the, the, who's, there's got to be someone behind these decisions. Like, like I said before, just the, the scapegoat of like, oh, this, yeah, this geezer in the film crew has just gone rogue and, you know, he's in the Bengals' room, like, trying to film all the signals. It's like, <laughs> I don't know, man. It just, it just, you feel like it has to come from above. And obviously all that stuff with Robert Kraft, you know, all the alleged stuff that he was up to before. It's just from, a, you know, from a sort of organisational standpoint, the Patriots are pretty, pretty rotten, aren't they, from some of the stuff that's gone on recently rotten well they do push the boundaries to the absolute maximum and you're right there's no real you know recourse to this because you know they can probably take a third round pick on the chin yeah they can take a one million dollar fine on the chin no worries um but that's not going to stop them you know pushing those boundaries once again and to trying to gain that that advantage, you know, um, yeah, I agree. If the, if the NFL was serious about punishing teams like this, because no other team really has done anything like this. That's this is the point. It's only the Patriots, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's obviously been like bits and pieces of individual players and stuff with you know different performance-enhancing substances and stuff, but never has there been anything I can think of that's. You know, from a, a, a whole team aspect of really trying to sort of bend the rules in that way, but also just on multiple occasions, you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's pretty shocking, to be honest. It is indeed pretty shocking. Um, so what should we talk about now? Uh, Billy Price was on our colleagues uh, at Cincy Jungle podcast talking, saying that he's uh, fit and healthy and ready to prove himself. Um, I tell you what, but Could let's... Use him. Uh, we could, um, certainly, if he ever fulfills his first-round potential. Um, i tell you what, let's bring on a special guest, uh, shall we? Because there's lots of, um, actually, offensive line chat to be had. We've got a couple of questions about the offensive line. Uh, we've obviously already mentioned Bobby Hart. Um, and, um, yeah, let's let's do that. It's time to bring in this week's special guest. It's one of our favourite NFL analysts. I've personally been following him for several years and I do uh, urge you to follow him on Twitter. It's uh, Andy Benoit. Andy, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. Hey, Paul. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. How is life, my friend? Life is good. You know, I'm happy to be talking to you too. I, I've, I, I've said on our Sports Illustrated podcast, I, I don't know if I've said it in Explicit terms, but I, I'll say it here. I think I think the UK NFL fans are a lot smarter and, and more academic towards football than what we have here in America. So this this is fun for me because I always appreciate hearing from European readers and listeners. And uh, this uh, I have a lot of respect for the way that 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 part of the world views the the NFL. Well, you say that, Andy, but uh, you haven't sat through an interview with me yet, so I hope I don't disprove that theory. To be honest with you, well, I'll give it a, give it a <laughs> shot. We'll see. And if, if you do, I'll, I'll I'll call you on it too. Okay, right. We're here to talk about the Bengals. Obviously, we're a Bengals uh, podcast um, now. Andy, when Zach Taylor was appointed head coach last year, we were expecting a really innovative, high-scoring offense, uh, a similar offense to to which he was a part of at the Rams. What happened? Well, what, what happened, it started with the simple fact that their offensive line was really behind the eight ball. And that's usually the thing everybody says when they want to blame collective problems on the offense is, all oh, the O-line's no good. And some of the time people are right when they say that. A lot of the time they're just saying that because they think they feel smart to say it. 
in this case, it was one of the early in the season, at least, it was one of the worst offensive lines I'd ever seen on film. And to their credit, they did get better up front as the season went along. A, a lack of talent was the underlining problem, though, and then I don't think there was a lot of cohesion when the guys who were on the field worked on the field together. So um, that's, if that gets corrected, it has a chance to look like a whole different offense this season. If it doesn't, it's very difficult for any scheme and any offense to thrive, and especially one like Zach Taylor's because continuity along the offensive line is a big deal in that system. Um, obviously, the Bengals had a lot of injuries. No Jonah Williams. They threw, had to throw in John Jerry. They had to re-sign Andre Smith. So it was, uh, you know, Michael Jordan was a rookie and found things tough uh, going in the early part of the season. Um, Billy Price uh, kind of regressed. Trey Hopkins came on, definitely. Bobby Hart's Bobby Hart, obviously. Um, was it was it a case of injuries, or was did you notice something more schematically that was the problem there? Well, it's it's not schematic because that they, Taylor is running the scheme that has worked at a number of places, and it's it's all predicated on outside zone blocking. So mm. I think of all your offensive linemen trying to get wide towards the edge of the field and pin the defenders back inside essentially and that that works well you need agile linemen in order to make it work though and because it's zone blocking and not man blocking it's not always very clear early on who exactly will everyone be blocking who i got this guy you got that guy you have to sort that on the fly sometimes which is why the continuity in that scheme for the alignment is so important so the scheme's a good one. We've seen it. The Niners use it a lot. The Rams obviously use it. The, mm. the Falcons before then, the last three of the last four NFC Super Bowl teams, that's their identity. The Packers are another. The Titans use it. So the teams that had success last year are using that scheme. You just have to have the players up front in order to run it. Mm. And obviously the Bengals did not have the players to run it last year. Um, they also like to play uh, 11 personnel um, a lot, at least they did in the early part. I think it worked out that they, they, they used that personnel grouping in like 70%, 76%, I think I'm right in saying, in all snaps. Is that particularly high? Does that mask any shortcomings in, 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 in personnel as well? Or was that something you were, you were expecting with Zach Taylor as well? Oh, I'm absolutely expecting it because that's what the Rams did when Zach Taylor was there, and the Rams were much higher in their 11 personnel usage than than the Bengals were when Zach was there. Mm. Uh, the Rams last year were still high in 11 personnel, but um, and you know when you put those three wide receivers on the field, so 11 personnel, I mean, your listeners probably know, but if they don't, one back, one tight end, mm. which means three wide receivers. It's the most common package in the NFL, but when you put those guys on the field together so much, for one, you, you have a little bit of a better idea what the defense will be doing because you only had to study the defense's 11 personnel snaps. You, didn't have to, you don't have to learn the entire defense if you know that you're not going to play in certain packages that that defense has played against. So I think that's part of the reason that they like to do it. The other part is the, the benefit of, of going 12 personnel with two tight ends or certainly when you go 21 personnel with a running back and a fullback, the benefit is you create a lot more variables in the running game, uh, especially if you have that fullback because that guy can move all over the formation and he creates run gaps mm-hmm. as he moves. Gaps run go with him. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to do that, if, you, if that's just not part of your running game, and in this case the running game is not built on that so much, it's, it's just pure zone runs, then you're better off going with 11 instead of 12 because you don't need that extra move blocker. Plus, if you go 11, the defense is putting three corners on the field instead of three linebackers, and mm-hmm. that makes it that much easier to run against that defense. Mm. Um, absolutely, and uh, you know, as as we mentioned, things were very sticky offensively. I'll come to the defense in a moment, um, but as the season went on, it was obvious, as I say, things just weren't working, and there was a well documented meeting on the plane back from London within the the coaching staff after the Rams game, actually, the one that we all went to over here and were excited about and were slightly deflated about afterwards. Um, that game seemed to herald a, a change in scheme. What did you What did you notice? Because that second half of the season, they 
correct, they weren't winning games, but they were certainly a lot more competitive. Mixon was finding much more running room. What did you notice schematically in that, that second half of the season? Well, I, I don't think they did anything super drastic. I, I Honestly, Paul, I'd have to go back and look at my Bengals film notes because I'm sure there were some things that they mm. did. But a lot of it just had to do with having those offensive linemen a little bit more unified. And then and he didn't play a ton. But when Cordy Glenn got back late in the yeah. second half of the season, um, Glenn is, is not a great player at this point in his career, but he was a stable left tackle, which they did not have. And that kind of had a domino effect and, and really stabilized other parts of the offensive line. And then Michael Jordan got better as a rookie, as rookies are, are, are prone to do, the good ones anyway. So mm-hmm. um, I think it was just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mixon's a talented player, and, and things started clicking in place a little more for him. But really, the big changes were on defense in the second half, because mm-hmm. that one they did do some different things schematically, right. mainly going with five defensive linemen instead of four because they could not defend outside runs at all last year which is uh, tough because you know that's probably what they practiced against given that their own team their own offense does outside runs all the time yeah but um when the defense got better my guess is that also changed a little bit of how things went on the offense you're not playing Mm. from behind as much you're Maybe Zach Taylor's a little more comfortable with certain play calls because he trusts his defense to pick him up if the play call doesn't work. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just a different – there might be a few variables involved. But overall, they, they they have an identity, and they're going to stick to that identity, and it can work as long as the, the guys up front execute. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I mean, the Bengals have always had sort of innovation on both sides of the board, but defensively, we've had Dick LeBeau and then Mike Zimmer with a double A gap blitz. Um, is it too easy to say that Lou Anarumu found things difficult last year? Well, it was his first job as a as a coordinator in the NFL. He's been around for a while, so he obviously knows the game. Uh, it's his first year coordinating the defense. They are probably thinking we're going to adjust some things in our personnel. We can't do it all at once, but we're going to rebuild parts of this defense, so we're playing with some guys that won't be here after this year. Not that that is any kind of excuse to not play well, but what we're describing overall at the 30,000-foot level is a, a, a team in transition, a team with a new coach, right. and they're, it's kind of a rebuilding effort there. So that was part of it. Honestly, the other part of it, though, is just they, they did not execute well against the run. They did not have very good linebackers, which is why they made changes at that position this offseason. Their defensive line is has always been a streaky defensive line. That's usually true with the pass rush. Mm. Last year became true as well with run defense. So streaky defensive line, bad linebackers. They, they, they couldn't stop the run. And worst of all was it, was, it was, as we said, it was outside runs that were really getting them. So there was a very clear blueprint on how to play the Bengals. And I don't know if I've seen, I'm sure someone else has done it, but I don't know if I've seen a team who's a 4-3 defense decide we're just going to become a 5-2 defense. We need right. five guys up on the line of scrimmage. It's not a huge difference. It sounds like it might be a big difference. It's not that enormous difference that you think the big thing is that you're basically playing with a bigger defensive end instead of a linebacker mm. um but it, that worked that did they, they did look like a different defense after they did that yeah it's interesting isn't it i mean you saw those subtle differences and they did seem to compete better and i, I think you're right the the outside runs were the absolute killer and when you're in a division with with you know a team like baltimore who were just killing people with the run pretty much every play uh nick chubb yeah. and uh you know even james connor although he was injured a little bit last year um it was pretty obvious i mean we were surprised as a lot of people were i think when the bengals went you know they really invested in defense in in free agency and it's pretty obvious what they were trying to address in free agency you had Trey Waynes, who arguably is very similar in, in, in standard of play to Dre, but is a much better tackler. Mackenzie Alexander also in the secondary. Uh, Josh Bynes, who's a good, experienced leader in that linebacking core. And then, of course, uh, Von Bell, who is ev- everyone is excited about, and DJ Reader especially. Um, do you think the Bengals have really addressed that weakness against the run? 
Um, uh, yes, a big answer is yes. DJ Reader is obviously an elite run defender, and that's why he got paid all that money. Um, those guys you mentioned, the cornerbacks from Minnesota, Waynes and Alexander, that's a hallmark of, of Mike Zimmer's defense in Minnesota and wherever Mike Zimmer's been, is that cornerbacks, he has no how to tackle. Yeah. And that's a big deal when you're defending those outside runs, of course, because those are the outside contained players uh, a lot of the time, uh, those cornerbacks. So better tackling corners, a big defensive lineman, uh, a linebacker in Josh Bynes, who's really a fill-in, plug-and-play kind of guy, but I, I think is a really good NFL professional football player. He, right. he, he will not have the mysteries that some of those other guys struggled with last year. So mm. um, it, it's a better defense overall. And when the run defense gets better, that's bound to make the pass defense better, too. Yeah, we're all excited to see DJ Reader line up against Geno Atkins because Geno, frankly, can't do it all. He's, he's kind of, obviously, the years are ticking by, but he's still a very talented player. But he just can't do it all. And I think, uh, as I say, a lot of fans are excited to see DJ Reader, who can be disruptive in the backfield uh, alongside Gina. That's what we're really excited about. Well, and that makes sense because Atkins will see more one-on-one blocking than he has. Now, it's not going to come in the pass rush quite as much. It'll be more in run defense. Hmm. Um, but Re- Reader also, when you do get to the pass rush, I wouldn't be surprised if Reader is on the field for some of those passing situations. Certainly second right. down and long and their nickel package. One thing these teams have done more lately is they'll play their nose tackle in their nickel. So they'll have three corners on the field, but also their nose tackle. And uh, I think Reader's going to be a part of that. He's a better pass rusher than people realize. That's not the reason you pay him, but that certainly adds to his value a little bit. I think you can play him. Let's say there's 70 snaps in a game. You can put him on the field for probably 55, 50, 55 of them if you wanted. Mm. And there you're getting your money's worth there, right there, I think. Um, yeah. Obviously, with the with the free agency hall that we just spoke about, Bengals fans are extremely excited about the draft. Obviously, um, what's your what's your opinion about Joe Burrow? Are you a fan? Is the hype merited? Uh, how do you think he will transition to the NFL? I know they're very confident in him. I'm not. A, I don't study the college game the way I do the NFL game, so I don't know Burrow intimately. I mean, I've watched him a little bit, of course. I know he had some great wide receivers to work with at LSU. And I, I imagine that's somewhat of an advantage. But what what stood out with him is his willingness to make difficult throws, both from within the pocket and off of improvised movement. And those are two critical traits, especially that within the pocket. Mm. Um, the, the willingness to target tight windows and play on schedule when there are bodies around you and you know you're going to get hit, you, you need that in order to succeed in just about any NFL scheme. So... Burrow not only has good attributes, but he has the, the type of attributes that typically translate well to the NFL. So do you think, um, you know, we live in a Bengals bubble, obviously, and uh, we're all optimistic. Are we right to be optimistic, do you think? Or uh, would you caution our optimism? I think in the NFL, everyone's right to be optimistic. The, the difference between the, the 32nd ranked team and the maybe not the first, but the, let's say the fifth best team in the league and the mm. 32nd team, it's usually not a, a staggering difference. It's Or it's a difference that can easily be made up with a move here and a move there. So um, there's a lot of reason for optimism. Now the Browns, they think they're better as well. The Steelers uh, have their quarterback back, so they, they imagine they'll be better, and their defense is, has a chance to be maybe the best in the league this year. And then the Ravens went 14-2 and last year. So mm. Everyone in the NFC or AFC North is, is optimistic. Um, the Bengals probably still are, are the fourth best team on paper heading into this season. Mm. But again, that doesn't that doesn't mean they can't compete, and that, that doesn't mean they might not go ten and six and be right in the mix. Mm. So, what what for that to happen? What what needs to happen if that makes sense? Well, yeah, it does make sense that the defense, as we talked about, stabilizing against the run, I think will help. A more consistent pass rush would, would be a big deal for them. Um, that gets into the discussion of do you want to add more blitzing to what you're doing because they're really not a very big blitzing defense yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a new quarterback, that's gonna you're not going to change the offense because Zach Taylor is going to run what he knows how to run, and it's a good system. But uh, – 
uh, having the number one overall drafted quarterback, that, that has to mean something. Right, right, yeah. Well, um, Andy, I hope I didn't disprove your theory and um, uh, that all uh, British NL fans know what they're talking about. Um, thank you so much for the time, Andy. We're keeping the fingers crossed that A, there's going to be football this season, full stop, and obviously B, that uh, uh, the Bengals at least compete this year. So, Andy, thanks, man. I really appreciate the time. Okay. Thanks, Paul. There we go. A big thank you to Andy Benoit. Let's just check in with Nathan to see how he is and where you are. How far away from home are you, Nathan? Man, I'm already at Belsize Park, son. These legs are motoring me forward. Just gone through Primrose Hill. Have you? Um, yeah, yeah. Motoring forward. Goodness me. Uh, well, um, Andy Benoit there. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we live in a Bengals bubble and we're, uh, I think, naturally quite optimistic about the uh, Bengals and kind of live with the team and can see the potential and love our players etc etc um, I think it's always helpful to get uh, a little view outside of that bubble to see what other people respected people knowledgeable people uh, think about the team and Andy really didn't pull any punches uh, on certainly the offensive lines performance he called them uh, the worst offensive line group he'd ever seen on film, which I think, I, <laughs> I think from memory, I let out a chuckle at that. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I mean, obviously he agreed that there is sort of room for optimism. He thinks he can, we can compete next year, but we have to get that offensive line uh, uh, sorted out. I don't think he's wrong. I mean, I, I I don't know if I'd necessarily call the line the worst that he's ever seen on film. I mean, it's his opinion, obviously, but they have been really poor. I don't think anyone, you know, can sort of get away from the fact that the line has been the Achilles heel of this team for two or three years now. And that's why I always think that Andy Dalton is a hard, you know, book to judge because he, he really did have some great moments for us. And I don't want to sort of reopen the sort of Andy Dalton book, but playing behind that line for the last couple of years and obviously with the injuries and stuff it really was hard to sort of get a sense of what you had there you know you put Ryan Finley in for a couple of games and we saw what happened there behind that offensive line so you know I'm hopeful this season obviously you've got you know some guys coming back they've added a few players so you were hopeful it's better but I still like I've said many times throughout this offseason I'm still really concerned because I think a lot of things have got to go right for this offensive line to be even close to being good next season. You know, a lot of things have got to happen. So, for me, there's a worry there. It's, st it's still something that I'm concerned about. Yeah, it's interesting. And it sort of neatly segues into um, uh, another sort of semi-news story. Uh, Jim Turner, uh, the bantermeister, uh, Jim Turner, um <laughs> Uh, joined Dan, our old chum Dan Horde on his excellent uh, Bengals uh, Booth podcast. And I have to say, even though I'm not Jim Turner's biggest fan, and I still th think he sounds like uh, a drill sergeant in the American Army. He uh, really does, doesn't he? he? And who cannot speak without shouting. Um, it was actually a really, really good, interesting uh, interview and, and Andy wasn't quite sure how the Bengals changed things around he was clearer on defence we'll get to that in a minute um, he wasn't quite sure what happened when the Bengals kind of uh, you know managed to switch things around on offence and did much better in that uh, last part of the season but of course uh, you know we know what happened because Paul Dana Jr. went through it in an excellent article they had a big uh, conversation, I think, around the Rams game in London where they, they they decided to kind of, and Andy alluded to it, they just didn't have, because of injuries, you know, let's, let's be honest, they just did not have the personnel to do what Zach Taylor wanted on offense. So at some point, he had to change his approach. And Jim Turner was really, really excellent on, uh, on that podcast and explained what happened and explain that you know that they went you know they switched uh from a, a, a more of a zone blocking team into a bit more man and certainly a, a more pulling uh offense and that's and pitching the pitching the ball to Mixon so he could get to the outside quicker uh and it worked it really did work in terms of I mean, uh, yeah okay so we didn't win any 
you know many more games, but we certainly look more competitive in that last part of the season. Um, and Jim Turner was really good. He was going through the offensive line, talking about uh, Xavier Suafilo, what he can bring, uh, talking about Michael Jordan, what he looks for in in uh, well, what he looks for in in an offensive lineman. Uh, it was a really interesting chat, and um, it, when you listen to that, it kind of gives you hope for the future. But let's not kid ourselves. I mean, there's lots of variables going on there. Um, it all depends on whether Jonah Williams can be that first-round talent that we hope he is. It all depends on Michael Jordan taking a leap forward. I would not discount Billy Price this year. Um, and we actually do have a question before we get into the whole question thing. We do have a question. Dom at Bumbling Bengal. Solid handle. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Was ZT's willingness to let guys win battles in training camp i.e. Trey Hopkins and Damien Willis. I'm 85% sure that Fred Johnson will start at right tackle. He looked like the second best lineman when he played, in my opinion. What do you guys think? Keep up the good work. Thank you, Dom. Yeah, I, th- I think that place is there for Fred uh, Johnson to take, really. Um, I really do. If he, can, if he can show the kind of form that he did in those two or three games at the end of last season, A, I think we'll have got a steal, and B, you know... Uh, I, I don't think... I mean, it's going to be an interesting one because they like Bobby Hart for his experience, but I think I think in terms of talent, from what I saw last year, Fred Johnson's got a real chance. You're trying to chuck a little pun at the Steelers there, some of your... We got a steal. It was that little subtle pun from you there, did I hear? No pun intended, but thank you for... I didn't even realise that. No worries. Um, I, the thing is, for me, like I think what it comes down to is... I think they're paying Bobby Hart a lot of money and I think that they're going to... I don't know what it would look like if they cut him. I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but I just think that they're going to want to give him that job and they think that job is his. I think Fred Johnson, if he has an incredible camp and he just easily outperforms Hart, then he possibly has a chance. But I think the Bengals are very much set at the fact that they... Obviously, every spot's open for competition, but I think they will very much think that you know he's their guy. They've paid him to be that guy. He started all, all those games there last year. Um, and that's what they'll think. I think sometimes, especially towards the end of the season when there's nothing really on the line, players can have good games. And I, you know, I'd all err on the side of caution with you know two or three games. The Steelers did let him go. You know, they did let him walk. I know it was. I think they said it was a tough decision. A few people were interested in acquiring well, I think services, it was, I think but... it was a cap thing and a, a kind of a, yeah. a roster decision as well. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Let, let, let's see. I mean, it's going to be... It's always good to have battles and people that can win jobs in person. Fred Johnson beats him out. It's fantastic. And, you know, we saved the money on his salary. I'd be delighted with that. But, um, yeah, it will certainly be an interesting battle to watch. I think after uh, Bobby Hart's... Uh, Social media summer. I think we're all we're all team Fred now, aren't we? Basically, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get let's dive into the correspondence, shall we? Uh, Matt Moon at Matt Moon. Bengals have a new QB inside half a defense in free agency. The Browns have a new coaching staff. Which team do you think will be impacted more by how different this off season has been? It's a good question, Matt. I think undoubtedly the Bengals long term and even short term as well, I think we'll have a better you know, will be better for it. I think you can't discount the quality the Browns have got on their team though. They do have some playmakers, you know, Baker Mayfield always very highly regarded and had a, took a step back last season and they obviously did really struggle the Browns, but I just think you've got to be careful. They almost might be better this season without the expectations. I think the year before, you know, they had a lot of big like names coming with Odell Beckham and stuff like that. So this year, potentially an opportunity for them to go more under the radar. But I think whenever you make a whole wholesale coaching uh, staff change, I just think it's so difficult to turn that around in one season. Um, we saw it with Zach Taylor. You know, Zach Taylor's jury's still out a bit. Um, but I think most importantly for us, it's his second season, Zach Taylor. We've got a rookie quarterback. He's trying to get his own players in. He's trying to build something. So I think for us, both long and short term, and that's the sort of Bengals homer in me coming out, but I think we should be better off um, than them with the changes we've made. I think it's going to be really interesting because obviously Stefanski 
is not just a the new Browns head coach, but he's also a rookie head coach as well. So yeah. coming in to an organisation that has established players there, but the thing is, he's bringing a brand new scheme in as well. So I do think perhaps that the Bengals on offence, it's a difficult one, isn't it? The Bengals on offence are a little bit more settled, perhaps, into Taylor's scheme, but then you you bring in Joe Burrow into the equation, who is a brand new rookie quarterback. So it's it's a really tricky one, and of course, um, you know Alex Van Pelt. Uh, Alex Van Pelt is now offensive coordinator for uh, the Browns. So it's kind of all new. Um, I mean, goodness me, I hate to say it, but in some ways, the Steelers are the most sort of, and 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 the Ravens are the most settled teams in that division. But as I said yesterday, this 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 kind of Zoom. Uh, approach to meetings and whatnot does could have a leveling effect on lots of things and lots of teams and i think it is all about how teams uh, adapt the best and the quickest to it and hopefully we do get to a, a training camp and uh, and then the real work will start so time will tell time will tell um matt also says also hilarious how the pat time their announcement of signing cam to try and distract from the news of their punishment for filming the Bengals' sideline. Uh, as you say, it's a, it's a bit of a masterstroke of PR, really, I think. Um, do, you know, do you know, lastly, on the Patriots, the last thing I've got to say on that, right? Go on. The one thing you got to remember like this, it's like some someone that's up to no good or a murderer or something. Like, if you catch them once, right, or you catch them twice, three times, what's the likelihood that you've caught them on every single thing they've done wrong? Like, if they are up to no good and they're the only things they've ever done wrong, then they're pretty bad at doing it because they've been caught every single time. So the likelihood they've been up to, to some other stuff that they've got away with in the past that people haven't picked up on. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they could have been up to all sorts to go. You know what I mean? Who knows? Um, we can only speculate, can't we, lawyers? Indeed, we can. All uh, <laughs> at Armaduke Panache. <laughs> solid handle. Um, that is a great handle. That is about, that is about as solid <laughs> as it gets. Armaduke Panache. Goodness me. Um, I've got all kinds of images about what an Armaduke or who Armaduke <laughs> Panache would look like. I think it could he, be like an incredible dog breed, couldn't it? Yeah, I think. Uh, speaking of which, my mum has started calling COVID nineteen Covey. Which makes it sound like fluffy and lovely and a bit like a small dog. So I'm, I'm kind of discouraging it uh, to continue with that. Anyway, uh, I do think Armaduke Panache does have a moustache that he twirls uh, <laughs> mischievously and caddishly. While smoking on a pipe. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, Ol, nice to hear from you. I keep hearing things about Joe Boy and how clever he is on Zoom. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> very cynical I just don't put much weight into these reports but I do hope to goodness it's true don't we all I mean certainly by the sounds of things again Brian Callahan went on to uh, hear that podcast Grandly with Paul Daney last week great interview suggesting that you know he's just he's doing just fine he's picking stuff up really well and him and Trey Hopkins are picking up plays and coverages and blah 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 in simulated um lessons or what zooming webinar i don't know what you call it i'm old i don't know what these newfangled things are called uh old goes on to say and in similar news get on these bad boys puffs like a hula hoop stroke skips stroke quavers dream team of crisps now america we've lost our american listeners now i know that uh basically there's a brand of crisps or chips as you like to call them uh over here called hula hoops and um there's also uh, we've spoken about skips. They're they're very kind of light and sort of melt in your mouth. Uh, and these are the they've made hula hoops into these puffs, which <laughs> which sound ridiculous. I've tried them and I don't like them. I have to say I'm sorry, old, but old's old's quite keen as you can hear. Anyway, let's get back onto uh, things that might not. Um, alienate our american listeners 
Sam Anger at Sam underscore Anger. Hello, boys. Hope you're well. My presence on Twitter has been quite limited in recent months, but I'm steadily getting back into football mode. Well, that's good to hear, Sam. Here's some questions. Number one, which Bengals player would you let read you a bedtime story? <laughs> wow, OK. Um, a bit later on, um, Tom McDowell at Wagat Dub DD uh, chipped in with this. He said, I'd choose Lapham. He'd have a great, he'd have great stories, and he's like a teddy bear. I agree with that. I would like um, Lapham tucking me in with those enormous hands on an evening <laughs> and reading to me. Uh, I think that's a really good shout. I think it has to be Lapham. Yeah, I think it's a full house on that. I think his voice as well is that you grow up sort of, you know, hearing the Bengals and uh, his sort of positive attitude. I think that'd get you in a nice, good mood before you hit the hay, wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, from a non-Bengals perspective, uh, like many people, I watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, and uh, I was rather taken, I must say, by Scotty Pippen's voice. It is the most extraordinary, deep and treacly and an incredible voice. And so I would like, uh, here, here's a bit of a, here's a little bit of Scotty Pippen's voice if you, if you haven't heard it before. It was a lot of fun, to be honest with you. You know, we were knocking the Knicks off every year and they could never get past us. And that made the game fun itself because I could look back at the days when we played against the Pistons. We had the same challenge, you know, we could never get over them. I mean, imagine that. Like in your it ear. It sounds like he needs to cough. No, that's his voice. His guy's really. No, I can't do it. He just sounds like he desperately needs a cough, doesn't he? <laughs> you reckon? No, I, lo I love his voice. I think it's brilliant. Um, so that's your. That's my question. Um, I'm sort of deferring to Tom's answer there. Number two, Nathan, are you ready for another bet? If so, let's talk. Would you just remind listeners what your bet was with Sam last year? So we had, um, would Joe Mixon go over 1,500 um, all-purpose yards, so receiving and rushing? And at the start of the season, I think, you know, I made about eight games uh, through the season, I was parading around my shirt off with an easy win. Um, and then towards <laughs> the end of the season, when Joe Mixon, like, lost his nut a bit, um, then it got quite close. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm well up for another bet, Sam. Let, let me know what you're thinking, my son. I'm more than happy for it to be Joe Mixon related again. So, um, or anything of your choice, let me know. Well, there we go. You two better have a private chat. Well, there better be, I'm just hoping that there'll be a Bengals UK meetup at some point this year so I can claim my reward off of Sam. I mean, what, what do you reckon, Sam? You think there's any chance of a Bengals UK meetup in 2020? Nope. Uh, I think 2021's more realistic, really. Um, we've got to see how the winter and autumn, or autumn and winter goes, I think, um, before we start uh, convening. We're not thinking of an, an illegal Bengals UK rape. <laughs> Well, plenty of other bloody people seem to be uh, doing illegal raves and things like that. But uh, no, we, we can't do anything like that, unfortunately. Uh, 2021, hopefully, all being well. No, no, we can't do anything like that. We can't say anything like that on this show. But um, we're going to DM you all with details of our illegal rave watch <laughs> yeah. party. We'll, we'll set up a WhatsApp group and we'll, Nathan's DJing. And uh, down a dark alleyway in um, Clapham. Okay, well, that's uh, you're not selling it to be honest. But uh, <laughs> uh, Richard Dixon at Lord Rixendale, solid handle. I don't have a question, only a compliment. Paul and Nathan, you've both been amazing throughout these strange times. I mean, Tommy Smith, this podcast is no longer just a bit of fun, it's now genuinely important, and the standard keeps on improving. Thank you. Well, that's that's really kind of you, Wait, Richard. Go. The Lord. Solid comment. I appreciate it, my son. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been into the idea of the power of communities and groups and things like that. And I think um, I think we take uh, the responsibility of representing Bengals fans in the UK quite seriously. You know, um, you know, there's no membership fee to join Bengals Not UK. Yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, you, it's all—it's a bit of an umbrella under which you can gather, and uh, we hope that uh, we've kept you uh, sane uh, during the lockdown with our watch with our watch parties, and obviously the podcast. And yes, Tommy Smith was uh, incredible, wasn't he? And 
I still have to kind of pinch myself that we 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 got to talk to him. But you know, we've had Carson Palmer on during the lockdown. We've had all sorts of amazing people on, uh, and that will continue. I've got a question for you. Go on. What would you do, right, Uh if a couple of Bengals fans in the UK, right, got together? And they were like, you know what, those guys at Bengals UK, they're not doing a good job. Like, they, you know, just really like weren't a fan about the work we were putting out. Started their own Bengals, like something like Huda, they called it something else, like Tiger Stripes UK or something. Yeah. And they did their own podcast. And it was, and all of a sudden, all of the Bengals, like the loyal people that we love, we love as Bengals fans, started going over. They started getting better podcast guests than us. Their followers are racking up. Like, would you declare war? Like, how would you approach the situation as I think it'd the be, leader of Bengals UK? Like, oh, it'd, have to, it'd have to be a duel on Hampstead Heath. Uh, <laughs> it'd have, taps off, as they say, taps off in Scotland. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, of course it would be all that. No, my, you know, well, yeah, it would be war. It would be hands down. <laughs> <laughs> I love I'm how you quite, thought about that for a second. I'm not quite like... sure what, uh, I'm a pacifist, so, you know, um, it would be war and duelling to the death <laughs> with muskets. So if there's any Bengals fans, if there's any of you out there in the UK thinking of starting up an unofficial fan group, you've been warned. Exactly. You will, you will die, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's my final word um duncan no of course not there's room for everyone but please don't um duncan yeden at slam dunk the funk um, solid and it was a slew of solid handles exactly. what an episode. can you give a shout out to luton's finest postman martin greer thanks i certainly can a big juicy who day to you martin uh who day martin he's a fine man and we've had the pleasure of hanging out with him uh, several times and um, yeah he's he's great he's a lovely man um, right he's a, a lovely man he's a lovely man um, and, and an excellent postman I don't know I've never had my post delivered by uh, <laughs> but I've seen some photographs he puts on Twitter when he delivers and occasionally there is some Bengals paraphernalia under the Royal Mail uh, uniform so you know you can't ask for more than that really uh, absolutely speaking of which I bought a, even though money's really tight I not only bought a smartwatch, but I also bought a, a Bengals, a vintage Bengals shirt this week. Oh, I love it. So now I'm really skint, so that's good, isn't it? Amy at Amy Smith Photos. Now, Amy has sent in a picture. <laughs> See, this is why I love this podcast, and I love our followers and fellow Bengals fans, because um, I'm looking at it now, and I can't quite... Okay, okay, so... Um, she sent in a picture question, which on a podcast wouldn't normally make sense or make for good podcasting, but I'm going to attempt to describe it. It's quite easy to describe. Uh, there, are, there's a picture of two dolphins, right? Uh, would a do- and the question is, would a dolphin play the trumpet like this? And the top picture is of a dolphin <laughs> playing uh, with a trumpet, playing, but basically playing a trumpet through its mouth right so would a dolphin play a trumpet through its mouth or like this and then there's another picture below with a dolphin playing a trumpet through its blowhole on top of its head so which which (laughs) i mean i don't know where amy's got this from um but i like it very much Uh, i like to think actually it would be both because then you could have a a dolphin uh, a, a mammalian horn section uh, a full horn section a double horned uh, sound so the dolphin could be playing a trumpet through its mouth and then a trombone through its blowhole or maybe a clarinet perhaps or a saxophone i don't know i thought about it too much this afternoon and uh, but i'm going to go both at the same time if dolphins can indeed breathe through both holes at the same time so I, I can't believe this podcast has got any more weirder, but it has. Um, I'm going... I don't think he's a dolphin. He's got to be able to see what he's doing, and he? So he's got to be through his mouth. Dolphins, through are, the dolphins are he, notoriously intelligent, Nathan, so they can... Yeah, but he's not, he could be able to see it be on top of his head. Well, that's right. It doesn't matter. He's like... If he, well, no, but it's not, if he was swimming, it would go straight off his nut because the, the current <laughs> would take it off. And he can't see, so he can't press the buttons on it. The buttons... 
in their buttons on it. Keys or whatever they're called. Yeah, um, but these things flaps could have a go. If it was in his mouth, the dolphin could have a go at getting its flaps round to sort of like play the buttons or whatever you call them. Do <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean? Whereas if it's coming out of his blower, yeah. it's just, it'd be a mess, wouldn't it? It would, but imagine the sound. It would be a double, it would be a full, almost like a full horn section. It would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, I, I, I just... For pure comfort purposes, I'm going. It'd be through the mouth. Okay, all right. Playing it safe. Uh, <laughs> what, what if, like, the dolphin is like some sort of Miles Davis or, of the, <laughs> the ocean world, and he comes up and you know he's using one flap, as you call it, uh, to to play the buttons, as you call them. <laughs> uh, and he, I don't know. I, I look forward to seeing that next time I go to. Uh, if you've got a dolphin in your home, <laughs> let, give it a trumpet, yeah, let's know. Yeah, unfortunately, I've got no access to any dolphins, so I can't ask them. Uh, but thank you, oh, Amy. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to have a word with one of mine there. Okay. All right, then. I expect an answer next week. Uh, Nigel Granger at Fleet underscore Risk. Do we think we are getting any football in 2020, given that it looks like areas of the USA are going back into lockdown? Oh, there's a question there that looks really scary. I don't know why I'm talking like that again. But, um, yeah, there's lots of scariness in America at the moment, isn't there? There's lots of new hotspots in Texas and Florida. And, oh, dearie me, I don't know. I mean, it's a difficult question. The NFL seems sort of hell-bent on starting the season. Um, But as I keep saying it, it's such a fluid situation. You know, things seem to be improving significantly in the States uh, up until last week and new outbreaks and, you know, real, really kind of aggressive uptick in infection rate in in various places. I mean, the short answer is who knows, Nigel? We all hope so, but safety has to be the primary concern, surely, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I... I... (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? I mean, the, the case rates are going up a lot out there. You sort of wonder how that will translate to the death rate in two weeks' time. And, you know, it takes a bit of time for that to all come through. I know there's obviously drugs coming out now that are helping with the, you know, sort of reduce the mortality rate, which is positive. But I don't know. Yeah, I think the NFL is a different beast. I know we've talked a lot about, like, European football, so soccer or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, obviously squad sizes are much smaller and... Um, you know they've been done a fairly good job of containing it over here that doesn't seem to have been too many problems thus far obviously with no crowds in the stand but translating that to a 53-man roster with you know lots more staff on game day and you know medical people i think it would be very very challenging um Mm. like i said before it not against if they push it back. That's fine with me. You know, if we get a full proper season, it'd be great to get fans in as well. But the NFL's got a lot more room, I think, than, you know, the, the sort of the European soccer leagues have got in terms of the amount of fixtures and the off-seasons they have. I mean, the NFL, as we all know, is a huge off-season. Hmm. If they had to sort of delve into it for two, three months back and the season started in November, I don't think anyone would be too cross with that. Agreed. Uh, Ken Davis at Ken S. Davis... Hello, Ken. Assuming they go ahead, what will be the Bengals' record after the first five games? I'm going three and two losses to the Eagles and Ravens. Now, we did go through this, didn't we? Um, let me just bring up the fixtures again. Um, uh, just bear with. So we've got Bengals Chargers. I think we both went for a home win there, didn't we? Uh, I think we both went off from went off from starting well, didn't we? Yeah, so we've got Bengals Chargers, and then we've got Browns at the Bengals, and I, th- I think I went two and zero with that one. But you were one and one. Were you, did you think the Browns were going to beat the Bengals at home? I think possibly I did say that. Yeah. Uh, away at the Eagles, I think that was uh, both of us a loss. So that's two one for me, and one and no two one for two, you as well. Sorry. Uh, and then the Jaguars, Jaguars, uh, Jaguars, 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 um, and I think we both said we were going to win that game, did we? I think yes, that's right. Um, so that's what three and one, 
and then Ravens at Bengals. So yeah, maybe three and two. Maybe three and two there, Ken. It'd be okay. a good start, wouldn't it? That get you wet your appetite for the rest of the season if we could get get to three and two after five games. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that would be a terrific start. Um, um, and who knows what would happen then? Because it's all about m- momentum and confidence and all the rest of it. So if you get off to a good start in the NFL, who knows where that can take you? Um, well, I think that's about it, actually, for this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, we'll be back. you probably hear sirens in the background. It's probably just uh, on their way to pick up Nathan uh, there. Uh, are you, have you made it home in one piece, Nathan? I've made it home, and my wife is on a Zoom call in the house, and I just thought I've just been circling around the block. It's like a plane that's got to its destination and is circling, so I've just been circling <laughs> right. the block. And no, I'm now sat on a bench outside the house. So. No the police have been called. Who's that suspicious man <laughs> circling the block, casing out various properties? Um, yeah. Do keep in touch with us. We are at uh, Houday underscore UK on Twitter and Bengals UK on Facebook. Um, I have a favour to ask you lot, if that's OK. A couple of weeks ago, we got a question uh, from Mike Smith, I think, who asked us... Um, who would play? Uh, who would play uh, Bengals players in a movie? And I've been thinking about this. It's really difficult because you can't name them all, obviously. So I'm asking you lot: Who would play uh, Bengals uh, players and coaches in a movie? Uh, name your key Bengals characters and who will play them. And next week, you never know. If I've got a bit of time on my hands, which is very likely, let's face it. Uh, I might come. I might even come up with a bit of a trailer as well. So there we go. Uh, until next week, please do stay safe. Thanks for listening. It's a who day from me, and a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.